people would say sorry to me and I would say sorry to myself or to my husband and I'd say to him sorry I can't give you a baby and he'd be like what what you what are you saying what are you saying Hey Bene, this is Rina Dipti Annabel, aka Mommy Imperfect, and you're listening to The Sisterhood of Mommy Imperfect, your weekly dose of girl chat, real talk, and the place where I delve into different aspects of womanhood with the help of my fierce and fabulous guests. Now, motherhood is something I talk about a lot. It's a huge aspect of womanhood. It's not the be all and end all, of course. Some women decide that it's not for them, but many of us do have that yearning to have a baby and to love and nurture a child. You know, it, it's natural. But having said that, for some women, it's not as easy as that. So I'm going to issue a little trigger warning at this point. You know, I am going to be looking at baby loss and miscarriage in this episode. So if you think that that is something that's going to upset you, you don't want to hear that, then please do check out another one of my 117 episodes instead. So I'm going to introduce my guest for the episode now, a woman whose journey to motherhood was far from straightforward and included a lot of heartache. Reno Combo Kent is an award-winning award-winning media professional, the CEO of Icons Magazine, the founder of Darmini Org, and she's here to share her story with me today. Hey Reno. Hi Reno. <laughs> <laughs> Two Reno's, hey. Exactly. It's got to be trouble. It's got to be trouble. <laughs> Reno, how are you? <laughs> I'm good I'm good um lots of concealer to cover the eye bags of a sleepless night with a little 6 month old who's going through his sleep progression again so this is the thing I was going to bring up as well that I'm happy to say that as well as all that I am that I said about you you are now a mum as well yes. which is yes. so nice and um Thank you. and I he's so adorable because that time I bumped oh. into you that was so nice to bump yeah. into you like that such a kaddu nice he is, god bless he is he is getting he is turning into such a kaddu gorgeous He's um, downstairs with his daddy right now so one of them will start crying at one point. Okay. All right. So this is like this is precious time, right? Precious time. Yeah, so precious time. Okay, precious so I'm, I'm going to I'm going to get straight into it then because you never know what's going to happen with kids, right? No, okay. Definitely. So um Rina, when did you know that you wanted to be a mom? Pretty much all my life. Like as soon as I was old enough, I I've had always had really maternal instincts. Always said I wanted lots of children. this is before i even met my husband and you know always said oh, oh i'm going to have lots of kids and we're all going to dress wear matching clothes and you know it's always been it's always been a dream and i always imagined having lots of children um and then when i met my husband and we started like dating and talking and getting to know mm. each other we knew it was something that was on the cards pretty much straight away once we'd you know if we'd got get married and stuff because i'd met him when i was 32 okay so um you know we, he was 34 we kind of knew that we're not old but we're at an age where we've met each other slightly later in life and kids would be on the agenda pretty much straight away so we we always said I'd want to get into life because I was moving my life from Midlands to London um once I'd moved in just there and got a job and settled in with start baby and that's exactly what we started to do in mm. and then um I think about 6 months into the marriage we started trying and quite fortunate got pregnant pretty much straight away and um so that must have been expect- nice right that must yeah, have been nice yeah you know i always heard that saying that as soon as you get those two lines on a pregnancy test yeah you're a mum and so already a mum in my head I, you know 
losing that baby or having miscarriage and again I know you've already given a trigger warning but you know I'm the things I'm going to talk about are quite um mm. they're quite sad and they're quite upsetting but they're they're also show strength and resilience as well so I'm hoping although it's a trigger it might give someone listening to this or watching this a bit of hope as well but you know I um I got the pregnant the two lines of the pregnancy test we were overjoyed because we thought wow we've only been trying like a month and I've got pregnant never ever thought it would go wrong you know just because miscarriage wasn't something that was talked about a lot but and it wasn't something that either of us were familiar with on both sides of our families Mm -hmm. we hadn't experienced I hadn't been close to anyone enough who'd gone through miscarriage and neither had my husband from a male point of view with even, you know, generally within his family. So you just didn't expect it to go wrong. And, and, and And, it's like, you know, like, I don't know, like growing up, you just, nobody really talks about things that went wrong. Right. Even if our own parents' generation, things did go wrong. We never heard about it. And then we just saw what we saw from TV programs. Like, Oh yeah. Yeah, Oh my God, we're pregnant. And that's it. Um, Exactly. Okay. So then how soon after that, did things go wrong so I um that was March yeah so we we got married in the August we started trying like January time I got pregnant March that was March 2015 mm-hmm. and then um literally six weeks later um I started bleeding and I was like okay this is not good having like really sharp pains on the left hand side and nothing painful enough to warrant a miscarriage at that stage and then I was referred to um I went to accident emergency and um, they did a scan and they could see a baby, but they couldn't see, they couldn't detect a heartbeat, but the equipment at the accident emergency wasn't the same as what you'd get as an early pregnancy unit. So they couldn't do an internal scan. Um, And they said, look, it's, it looks fine at this stage and we can see a baby and, you know, it's progressing pregnancy. You need to, we need to refer to pregnancy unit, by which point, Um, the bleeding started to get heavier and um, I went to early pregnancy unit the next two days later and they just told me that the baby didn't have a heartbeat so yeah I still get really emotional like thinking about it because you don't expect to hear those words and ironically it will be seven years tomorrow since that day you know and you don't forget the dates you don't forget anything and that was my first miscarriage and then I went on to have another I had five in total so I've had five miscarriages before I've had my rainbow baby Milan and um you don't expect to hear those words that your baby doesn't have a heartbeat and to deal with that at that time was like I just thought it was bad luck I didn't think I would then go on to have more miscarriages. I just thought this was a one-off. And, you know, they tell you that as well. Like it's very, all miscarriage is common. You know, it's uncommon for you to go on to have multiple miscarriages and, you know, you, you, you will be able to have a healthy baby at some point. So you, they say all the right things and those around me that were very, that are very close to me, you know, they all, they all said that I'm very much a positive person. I'm very optimistic. Mm. I'm a glass half full type of, girl and that's what everyone kept telling me oh you're so positive you're so strong you'll get through it but at that moment in time you're not positive you're not strong you're completely broken as a woman the one thing that you think you should be able to do is nurture a baby and hold a baby and you're not able to do that and that was really really like heartbreaking for me and heartbreaking for so many women out there and did you did you get angry at your own body like why am I not doing this like 
Why? Yeah, I was I was so angry. I was angry at the world. I was angry at everyone. You know, I was angry at myself. And I went on for years being angry with myself because I just kept thinking, why can I not do it? And then I'd have a miscarriage and people would say sorry to me. And I would say sorry to myself or to my husband. And I'd say to him, sorry, I can't give you a baby. And he'd be like, what, what, are you, what are you saying? What are you saying? You know, I'd be, I'd be saying to him, I'm sorry. I'd be crying my eyes out because we'd lost another baby. And I'd say to him, I'm sorry, I can't give you a child. And he never, ever said to me, you can't give me a baby. He was like, we will make it happen. I don't know how, but we will make it happen. See, that makes me feel really emotional, like hearing that, because yeah. you do think as a woman, like, oh, you know, I, I want to, I, w- I would yeah. like to give you and a you child and it's going to be part can... of us. And, you know, yeah, this you... is, yeah. You think it would come naturally, you know, as a woman, yeah, we're built to carry babies, we're, we're built, that's what we're told, we're, mm. you know, we've got, we'll have children and we're both from pretty big families. So, you know, it never, it never occurred to me that I, the, just being pregnant, like, you know, it never occurred to me when I got pregnant that I would lose this baby. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So each and every time that that happened, so you're saying that that happened five times you lost five babies. Yeah. Was it the, lost five babies. Was it the, the same kind of thing? Like, was it the same no, around the so six. every I, I cannot tell you how different every single miscarriage was the process of going through it so the first one I didn't miscarry naturally it was called a missed miscarriage because there was no heartbeat but my body the pregnancy sac was still growing mm-hmm. my body was still thinking I'm pregnant I was still going through all the hormonal changes and I had to have a procedure done to have that baby removed so that was one then the second miscarriage was uh just a natural miscarriage so literally six weeks bled lost the baby straight away and by the time I'd gone for a scan there was nothing left there right and then the third was pretty much like the first one and then there were there was one miscarriage which was probably my most painful physically was my fourth miscarriage where I um I retained the pregnancy sac for two weeks and they didn't want to do another procedure on me because I'd had so many at that point for various other things as well, which we'll probably talk about. And um, they said, look, let this pregnancy happen naturally. So I had to have be given medication to have a miscarriage and Mm -hmm. they give you the medication and they send you home. So you're going through labor basically at home and letting that baby pass. And that was horrific because I had to wait hours and hours for it to happen. And when it did happen, it was just over within a second. And it was just something that me and my husband were just dealing with alone. And we hadn't told anyone. Nobody knew what we were going through at that point. And a lot of people didn't even know we were pregnant. A lot of people didn't even know we'd miscarried. And first we'd waited two weeks for it to happen naturally. And then it didn't happen. And we'd even gone away, like um, just locally somewhere for a few nights, thinking if it happens there, I didn't want it to happen at home because I didn't want that memory. And I thought if it happens somewhere away, Mm -hmm. um, you know, all these things you do all the time, because psychologically you think you'll deal with things better, but there's, there's no way of dealing with it any better, to be honest. And then um, my fifth miscarriage actually was probably my worst it was probably my most developed pregnancy and I actually lost um I lost that baby in my hand that was probably the worst and how how um like how far along were you I was about 10 weeks so that baby you know at that point a baby has a heartbeat yeah at that point a baby has little buds on their arms and legs you know and literally, I um, I knew I was going to lose the baby. We'd already been told it was a failing pregnancy. 
And again, we were waiting. And I just remember waking up in the morning and having this real urge to push. And, and I did that. And I went to put my hand there because I just thought I was bleeding really heavy. And the next thing I knew, this sack came out and inside it was like the tiniest baby ever. And then I had one hour to take that baby to the hospital because that's what the protocol they'd given me. And so you're dealing with all that emotion. I'm screaming on the bathroom floor. My husband was at work. I was by myself. He comes back and then we're rushing to go to the hospital to go and take this fetus, as they call it, which is actually your baby, Mm. um, to go and get examined. And sadly, they didn't carry out the examinations that they needed to because that was at the prime of COVID. So it was March 2020 and COVID had hit and hospitals got obviously flummoxed with lots of people with COVID and it didn't make it to the lab on time. So we never quite found out what had happened. That's a lot, Rena, to deal with. It is. It is a lot. And people see, you know, people, a lot of people within our circle see, um, see the good side of what we do, you know, going on holiday out and about and we're very strong as a couple. Um, And it's this journey that's made us strong. Believe me, at the beginning, this nearly broke us. There was points in our marriage where this could have broke us and ended our marriage because my husband found it very difficult. The first couple of times we had a miscarriage, he couldn't deal with it. He barely looked at me sometimes and I barely looked at him because it was, he felt, he felt like he'd let me down as a man and I'd felt I'd let him down as a wife. And at and then I felt like I, he didn't deserve to be with me. So it was it was really weird, you know, the dynamics of our relationship. But as the years went by, he got more and more involved in this journey. And he got, he found strength from somewhere, which he doesn't have a lot of. And he's not going to mind me saying that. He's not the strongest of people. And he found this strength and he stood by me through everything. And I know that sounds like, oh, well, he should. He's your husband. But actually, it's so hard for men, especially Asian men. It is so difficult for them because there's no outlet for them to talk. Like I, I'm here, I'm talking to you. And even throughout my miscarriages, I had my mom, I had my mother-in-law, I had my sister. I had a couple of friends who knew about what was going on. And I spoke to them. I cried to them. I screamed to them, but he didn't have anyone, you know, apart from me. Did he he not share with his, um, because isn't he, doesn't he have a few brothers? Yeah. So that was the other challenge. He's one of three triplets. And they've already had kids, you know, they were, they both had two children each. And again, it was something that they didn't understand. And I think they didn't understand it. And because they didn't understand it, they couldn't support him. And and, and I they feel, don't yeah. have that relationship of being, they're very close, don't get me wrong, but they don't have that relationship of where they talk emotionally to each other. Sharing their emotions might come across as a weakness. And so that my husband didn't do that. And he got very little support from his male circle, mm. to be honest. And I think men don't know what to say a lot of the time. And like, and, 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 you know, believe me, like my husband has two brothers as well. And, you know, sometimes I kind of overhear conversations that he has with his brother, for example. And it's like, what are you, are you actually saying anything yeah. that's going on with you guys? <laughs> like, you know, or just, just about football or, oh, this person's doing that. You know, I don't know. Like, you just think, I mean, I think they've started to, but I've, I've noticed with guys that they can have a whole conversation and it's not really anything deep. Yeah. And, you know, men can be really nasty. Like, I'm I'm going to talk about this openly and he knows I'm going to talk about this. So, um, you know, he'd go to work and people would, guys, he works within a very male-dominated environment. And instead of 
asking why you haven't got children just yet, they'd take the mick out of him and like call him names, like in a really joke, bantery way. He'd come back home and he'd be in a really foul mood. And I'd be like, what's wrong? And we'd have an argument. And I'd be like, why are we arguing? What's nothing to do with me and you? We're not arguing. And it would be because something had triggered him from the day. And then he just felt like he was, he just felt like he was a failure. And then he'd tell me afterwards, oh, they were taking the piss at me in the workplace and saying this and that. And, and I was like, well, have you told them what we're going through? And it's like, they don't need to know. And I was like, no, they don't. They should have more sense than to say things like that. But they, you know, some men were just, they just saw it as a weakness that he, we didn't have a kid yet. Mm, I can imagine I can imagine you don't have to say but I can imagine the kind of jokes that you know yeah, and, and, and it, it all comes horrible. under the, the heading of oh it's banter it's banter but it, like it's not banter it's no it's not hurtful banter. to people yeah and people should be really really careful about making those sort of jokes jokes because you don't know what someone's going through internally and you don't know their circumstances mm. how did you like heal from this as a couple then like because you know you said it, it nearly broke you and it sounds like it was super super tough for you yeah. like individually and as a couple like you know how, how did you kind of keep it together we talked a lot I'm the talker obviously <laughs> and um I, we used to sit down and have a chat um, and I said it was really important that we talked about our feelings with each other mm-hmm. um we talked about how we felt and I think for us it was it was making sure he was involved because he was going through it too you know I could have there were times when I wanted to switch off and put myself in a box and just cry and I did that as well but then I needed to involve my husband because he was part of this journey. This was about him. It wasn't just about me. Every child we lost was his and not just mine. And I think that's the more I did that, the more involved he became. And he came with me to every single appointment. He never let me go alone. And like I said, the first couple of miscarriages, it was hard for him to deal with. And he kind of did leave me to it and thought, and then realized actually I needed him. And I said to him, I was honest with him. I try to act like the tough woman as well. So I was like, no, no, I can do this. I can do this. And then in the end, I was like, I can't do this. I need you. Um, we went on lots of holidays together. We we did everything together. I've got to admit, we neglected our friends a lot because he stopped going out with his friends. I stopped going out with mine. And it wasn't because we weren't, we didn't want to have friends. It was because we wanted to do everything together, me and him. And we felt like we needed to do stuff as a couple and we needed to heal together so we'd go on lots of holidays and do lots of fun things and everyone would see oh they're out and about they're on the plane again they're going Mm -hmm. but what they didn't realize is it was part of the process it was either after something had happened or before something major was about to happen you know if I'd had a major hospital appointment or I was going in for a procedure or something was going on it was time for us to be together and talk about what we wanted you know how we were going to deal with it and how we're going to deal with if I did get pregnant, what would happen? And if it didn't happen, what we would do afterwards? And, you know, we were we were just healing together as a couple. And that's what got us through it, to be honest. And it, our relationship just got stronger and stronger and stronger, touch wood. Mm. Well, I think if you've been together through all of that, you know, it's, you yeah. know, God willing, you know, you're, you're going to be together now. That's it until yeah. Hopefully the end. <laughs> um, but, you know, like a lot of people I know that you, they might have been like, Ooh, you know, look at them, you know, Dubai all inclusive or whatever. And I'm yeah, here yeah. and I'm here like with my kids, like going, yep, yep, yep. And, you know, it's so weird that the grass is greener on the other side because yeah, yeah, I'm sure is. that, you know, and whereas know I would on. be like looking at people and I'm, I'm sitting on holiday and I'd be looking at people with their kids and I'd be like, when are we going to have that? Yeah. When are we going to have that? And for me, it was, it was a time for me to switch off before I had no appointments, no work stress and just, 
just switch off and relax. And it was just, and it was our time where we could talk openly and be really open. And I'll be honest, that was talking to complete strangers on holiday, telling them what we were going through was such a good outlet for us because we'd meet other couples and they'd be like, oh, so do you not have children? And it's normal. And we'd be like, no, um, you know, we've been trying. And then the conversation would roll. And ironically on holiday, we met about three or four couples that we're still in touch with who were and still are on the same journey as us. And it's, it's, it's crazy because you don't realize what people are going through. until you actually start talking to them and sometimes it is easier to talk to strangers right Mm. because it's like you know I don't know like even even like you know with my health issues and stuff if I've had health issues and whatever I I think twice about like talking to my mom about it because then I'm like oh well she's going to get worried you know and that's another added stress and yeah and and then like you know or if I'm the stress gets put onto the family right or yeah, they don't know yeah. what to say and, and then strangers you're like oh well it doesn't matter because probably never see you again anyway you know sometimes yeah. and sometimes like you said you do have those lasting relationships but there's not that they don't know you so you no. feel freer right yeah you feel freer and you've just let off all this stuff that you wanted to say all this anger and like emotion and but not actually got angry or emotional about it but you've let it out and then it's like a real such a good outlet it's like my, me and my sister was so close and I remember after one miscarriage um, and she she was at work, I think, and it, my mum had told her. And I saw her n- name ringing on my phone, flashing on my phone, mm-hmm. and I couldn't answer the call to her because I knew the moment I speak to her and hear her voice, I'm going to break down totally. And I had to text her and say, I'm not ready to speak to you. Like, I can't talk to you just yet. And she, you know, she got it. She totally got it. And it was just because I'm so close to her, she would know exactly, like, what I was yeah. going through and the heartache and the pain. And I didn't want her hurting as much as I was hurting. And I thought I need to just compose myself before I speak to her and my mum, because I could just see me like, and I didn't want to get myself into any sort of, because, you know, because of those pregnancy hormones as well, you can still go through postnatal depression after miscarriage. Mm -hmm. And my doctors were really worried. And my consultant was really worried throughout the whole process, especially when I'd got to the fifth, that what impact is this having on your mental health? And luckily I bounced back each time. Um, and it took a lot of strength to do that. And, but I still break down. I still think about it, even though I've got my baby now, um, I don't forget at all, like what I've been through and I'm so grateful and I don't forget my babies. I remember their due dates. I remember every miscarriage. I, you know, I remember everything I went through for, you know, for those five babies, cause they're still my babies. You know, I, I, I completely understand this wanting to have a child of your own, right? I get it. You know, I did okay. myself, okay? Um, however, I, I've got to ask you this question because some people would, would would say to you, did you not think of just saying, okay, you know, we will not have children or why don't we adopt because there's kids out there that need homes. Why don't we do that? Why did we carry on? So yeah, what, so what would you say I, to that? Um, after my fifth miscarriage, um, I thought I can't do this anymore so I turned 39 when was that last year last February Mm -hmm. and on my 39th birthday me and my husband sat down and I said I can't do this anymore and he said neither can I and I said I'm going to be 40 next year if we haven't had a baby of our own by 40 we need to look at other options I'd started researching surrogacy I'd started researching egg donors I'd adoption wasn't for me, it, I would always adopt even before all my problems because I always think if 
I like giving and I think if I could give a child a really happy home even with my own children I would always adoption is something I was I'd I'd love to do but it's not something for my husband you know it's not something that he would feel comfortable with bringing up someone else's child Mm. um which is fine and I had to respect that so he told me that's off the cards um surrogacy I looked into um I'd even started researching surrogate agencies and everything else and then um so we basically said that we'll give it another 12 months and if by 40 by the age of 40 so I've got another 12 months I haven't had a baby or I'm not pregnant with a healthy pregnancy then we'd look at these other options literally three weeks later I found out I was pregnant and that was with Milan so I heard all the cliches throughout my whole journey of infertility and recurrent miscarriage that the moment you let go it was is when it will probably happen the moment you relax and you think actually you've got to leave it just to fate and mother nature it will happen and I used to think oh just bog off like it's not gonna happen like that it doesn't work but then maybe that did work because you know what the, we literally said you know so it's 14th of February my birthday and on the 8th of March I found out I was pregnant so and again but then that that pregnancy test was full of dread it was just full of absolute dread like there's no elation there's no celebration there's no happiness of oh my god I'm pregnant I'm pregnant it was like right here we go again you know and that's exactly how it was I did the pregnancy test told him it was positive we're both crying emotional as we have been every other time and he was like you know this might not be it though and I was like yeah and then um spent the whole pregnancy anxious you know didn't enjoy any moment of it the only part I enjoyed was putting on the weight because I just kept eating like a pig I didn't I wasn't (laughs) ill throughout the whole pregnancy I was just hungry yeah um I was just always like I'd lost loads of weight before I had Milan like lost two and a half stone got down to a size 10 now back to where I was before that like and and add some more onto that as well because I just kept eating throughout my whole pregnancy and I just thought actually it's the only enjoyment I've got because I'm not enjoying any part of it um I was put on a really thorough um plan with my consultant so I was doing blood thinning injections Mm. because they thought maybe I had an issue with blood clotting and that was causing miscarriages Mm. I was put on higher doses of progesterone, which I was having to do like twice a day. I was doing injections in my stomach every day. And so there was no enjoyment in this. You couldn't, you know, everyone was saying, relax, enjoy the pregnancy. I was going for monitoring every Wednesday at the hospital. I was stuck between going to hospitals here locally in um, near Windsor in Slough and then going to St. Mary's, which was my recurrent miscarriage clinic. And the whole pregnancy was just appointments, 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 and then monitoring the baby. Mm. And at when I had that first scan there was no heartbeat because it was too soon I'd gone to early pregnancy unit and I was about five weeks and my consultant was like right I can see the pregnancy I can't see a baby yet um and I can't see obviously get a heartbeat but you are only five weeks pregnant Mm -hmm. she said what I can see is possibly a second sack so we you might be carrying two so like okay right wow and then um, she was like, we'll scan you again in 10 days, mm-hmm. by which point we would expect to see a heartbeat. Yeah. So I was like, fine. Literally seven days later, I'm eating dinner and I felt like someone had punched me in my stomach mm-hmm. and um, felt like someone had punched me in my stomach and had a gush of blood. And I just thought, oh, my God, what has gone on? That's it. So I was on. I'm. 
I was on um, where I literally go to the hospital and I go to early pregnancy unit. I don't have to go to A&E. So mm. I was straight away taken to early pregnancy unit. It was COVID. So Ranj couldn't come inside with me. My husband couldn't come in. He was had to wait outside. He's like on tenterhooks. And we're thinking that's it. Pregnancy's gone. When I went inside, doof, 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 on the scan and they could hear a heartbeat. Oh. And I was like, oh, my God. But what had happened was the possible second pregnancy I was carrying, I'd lost that. So I was upset. Mm -hmm. I cried and I thought, but they were still 100% sure if that was a hematoma or like a clot or if it was a second pregnancy. But so I kind of just thought, okay, I can either get myself really upset and break down now, or I can be thankful that we've got this second pregnancy and we've got this healthy pregnancy by the looks of it. And there's a heartbeat and I'm only six, six and a half weeks pregnant. It's still early days. So I took away the positive of that and, that was it and then we had another scan a few days later and he was allowed into that and just to hear that heartbeat just to see my husband's face was just like you know the best feeling ever because we'd never got to that point and um you know and my consultant was like look we're not at the woods yet this is you know we've got to take each day as it goes and I was I was an absolute wreck throughout the whole pregnancy I'd say to him oh I I didn't feel sick today I don't feel like pregnant I don't don't feel nothing and my consultant was so good I could just literally email her and say I'm having a really bad day and I can't I'm not feeling pregnant or I'm my anxiety is getting the better of me she was like right come in at three o'clock I'll scan you and literally I was going sometimes twice a week for a scan and it was the only thing that was keeping me going and I I know a lot of women in that situation who are pregnant after loss don't have the don't have that because they don't have such a great consultant and they have got to wait or they've got to pay for private tests and you know they don't get the regular was, was this NHS? yeah I was so lucky that's I was a really good super, level of super care blessed. super super blessed and it was all down to my consultants to be honest I had two amazing consultants who were just fabulous with me that yeah I, I mean I, I ended up a few times with each pregnancy like at hospital like oh I can't feel the baby today and stuff and and I didn't even go through the miscarriages so I completely no. you know I understand like that must have been magnified a hundred times for you that it was thing, it everything. was and then plus I had an anterior placenta which so my placenta was growing at the front right so that meant so just to add to the mix of all the mm-hmm. anxiety and everything else God wanted to throw something else in there so when you've got an anterior placenta it's like a cushion between you and the baby yeah so you know those kicks that you start feeling at 16 weeks 18 I didn't feel nothing I didn't have no, I didn't feel his first kick properly till I was 30 weeks pregnant. I felt like flutters and things like that. So then that used to panic me and I'd be like, I can't feel nothing. I can't feel. And, you know, I'd meet other pregnant women at antenatal groups or online on antenatal classes because a lot of them were online due to COVID. They're like, oh, have you felt your baby kick yet? And I was like, no. And that was one thing I learned on this journey as well. Pregnant women, please don't compare your pregnancy to other women and don't put those pressures on other people because... Mm -hmm. You know, I'd get it all the time. Like, oh, are you not having this yet? Are you not feeling like this? Oh, you've had no morning sickness. Oh, that's not good. Oh, then your hormones must. And I'll be like, gosh, you don't know my journey. Like Mm. those things just make you more and more anxious. Like you've got to be so, and it's made me so careful even now. Like when I meet, when women are pregnant, one, I don't want to put my anxieties onto them. And, you know, at the, and the other side, I want to be there for them, like friends and family who are pregnant or just had babies. But at the same time, I, I totally appreciate that we're completely different and now we've got babies our babies are completely different and that's one thing that women need to get out of their head as well they definitely definitely um so 
did you keep the secret for yes. quite a, as long as possible? A, a like, lot of people, yeah. even my like close family and friends, didn't know we were pregnant till we had the baby. And it was, I, it helped that we were constantly going into lockdown during my pregnancy. So I didn't have to see people. And then I was super careful anyway, because I didn't want to catch COVID while being pregnant. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't want that stress to have to deal with as well. But yeah, we didn't tell very many people, close family, friends. If I met people and they saw me and they were like, gosh, are you pregnant? Obviously, they'd probably look at me the first thing. Do I ask her if she's pregnant or is she just put on lots of weight? All the McDonald's she's been eating throughout this pregnancy. Uh, and then I would say, yeah, we're pregnant. Um, and or if I spoke to someone on the phone and be like, oh, how's things going? But yeah, I didn't really tell many people and didn't do any of the big announcements or anything like that, which I feel a bit slightly robbed of because I would have loved to have done all that. Mm. We did do little like announcements with our just our parents and um, we did a little gender reveal as well with our parents, but we told people we didn't know what we were having because the ones that knew, because we just, it was so personal to us. This pregnancy was just so precious and so personal. But as weeks went by, it became not easier, but it became more real for us that this was actually happening. And then when I went for that final sort of checkup at 36 weeks and they were planning me to be induced the following week, I was like, oh my God, we're going to have a baby. We're going to have a baby. And what was and it, it like? only hit me? Yeah. I only stopped worrying the point Milan was in my arms. To that's, be honest, that's what I was going to say to you. Like, how did how was that moment I when you're holding your my, own baby? I used to still your... check my underwear every time I went to the toilet up until the moment I went into labour because I always used to think I'm going to be bleeding. I'm going to be bleeding. I'm going to be bleeding, and that doesn't go away with you. And so many women who've gone through this um, journey of pregnancy after loss will tell you the same. Um, they they call it knicker watching you just don't stop you just don't stop but the moment I held him and even the labor was touch and go so I had a horrific labor mm-hmm. and labor that our labor didn't go to plan um and that was to I had him naturally I didn't need to have the c-section but I was being prepped for c-section but his heart rate kept dropping during labor and they were getting me ready for surgery but I had this urge to push like and I was just like I just need it I just want to get him out like now and they were like his heart rate's dropping we haven't got enough time and I was like when you say you haven't got enough time what do you mean by that and nobody would answer my question and I had like 10 doctors and medical staff like making me sign paperwork and it was just horrible horrible experience but the moment they put him in my arms I was just like oh my god this is our baby and I was a mess to be honest I just couldn't stop crying and I was just like is he really ours and I just kept I didn't sleep that whole night I just kept staring at him Mm. and thinking is this my baby like is this ours and it was really horrible because obviously the husband gets sent home and he had to go home he couldn't stay in the hospital with me and he he didn't sleep all night either he just kept crying on the phone and he's like I want to come back what time can I come back and I was like can't come back till eight o'clock in the morning they said and he was like but I I need to come back he's not going to know who I am and like you know all this emotion was going on he was like total emotional wreck but it was the most amazing feeling in the world and it still is I still look at him and I still cry I sometimes watch him playing with his dad and I'm like and I my eyes just fill with tears because I just never ever thought that time would come for us yeah but I mean I'm so I'm so happy for you that you've got this now because that is um wow that's a, that's a lot of heartache. That's a lot to go through. So, you know, it's and, and yeah, the fact it's, that it's a lot of heartache. And I think it just 
there's a lot of gratitude involved now like I'm so grateful I'm I'm grateful for everything around me I'm grateful for having such a great supportive husband as well because we couldn't have got through this if we didn't have each other to be honest and you know I met you obviously in 2007 I think it was wasn't it when you yeah. um, played a role in uh, yeah. my play that I wrote with uh, another like Rena. <laughs> I know, I know. But then even at that point, like, you know, I know that you were a strong person because you you opened up about stuff that you'd been through up until that point, yeah. you know, and, and then and this on top of that. And then the fact that people probably looked at you with all these things that you were doing um, and thinking, oh, you know, wow, look at this, that she's doing that. And then inside, you know, you were going through this secret pain. Yeah, and that's it. Everyone thinks that you know no one knows that everyone that's what I mean everyone saw the luxury of our lives like going flying jetting yeah. off and going on holidays all the time and going to Royal Ascot and you know all the things that we love to do as a couple but actually inside it was so painful you now have started to share your journey and this yeah. is how I found out about everything that you were going through because you have this page on Instagram um Rena's rainbow journey just say yeah. right okay so so what made you open up and want to share your experiences so originally that page was called chasing the rainbow mm-hmm. so it was about it was anonymous I didn't have anything connected to me on there it was an outlet for me to talk about my miscarriages and talk to other women so um when I was going through something um when I was going through one of my miscarriages or going through certain emotions it was an outlet for me to just release anonymously and also talk to other women and we shared we're we're real tight-knit community on there um you know and we're always we've always got our dms open to each other and for me it was that's how that page started and nobody knew it was me I didn't even tell my husband I'd created this page to be honest um I didn't allow my mum she tried to add me she found out I had it through my sister and I rejected her so I didn't, I didn't want her to see it I didn't want her to see my emotion she's on it now I've let her in now but she you know I, I didn't have apart from my sister and maybe um, my sister-in-law actually um there was no one else on there um from family or friends that knew it was me it, everyone else was completely anonymous um but became real good friends of mine through the instagram and then um when i had milan again i didn't do everyone does a massive sensitive post when they're pregnant and put up a you know the pregnancy test I didn't tell the women in the community there I told a few of them that I talked to that I was pregnant but I didn't make it public that I was pregnant even on Instagram it was only when I had him and then I put my sensitive post and I never and even that was like I was crying my eyes out writing the post because I never ever thought it would be me on a platform like this sharing my news with people and I knew it wasn't going to be easy for some of the women there as well um and I've I found that one it was a real great outlet for me so if it helped me, it will help other women. And, you know, whether they want to talk to me, there's some women that will just message me and ask me advice. And I'm not an expert. I'm not saying that I know everything about pregnancy after loss. I'm not saying I know everything about infertility or, uh, you know, endometriosis, which is one of the conditions that I suffer with. Um, But if I can help someone and advise them so they know what to go and speak to their medical professionals about, then yes. But also like just to help them with coping mechanisms, you know, things that worked for me might work for them, might not. Um, But, you know, I've always been one of those people, if I can help someone in any way, I always want to. And again, it's a way to outlet because the anxiety that you carry with you for all those years during infertility and recurrent miscarriage doesn't go away with you just because you've got a baby. 
you know, if anything, the first couple of weeks that I had Milan were just a, such a shock to the system, um, like for any new mom, to be honest. But it was because I felt like all these emotions I've been carrying, all this pressure on my shoulders and in my head had suddenly just been released, but also been magnified 100%, like 100 times, sorry. It was like all these emotions that were so new to me because of the hormonal changes as well. But it was like everything I'd de- been dealing with, it's really hard to explain, everything I'd been dealing with over the last seven years had suddenly come out as well. So it wasn't just the new emotions of being a new mum, it was everything else I was letting out too. And that was both relief, but also quite scary because I thought, where, where are these emotions coming from? You know, it's not just about having a baby here. And it, I was grieving, I was grieving my babies as well. And I was holding Milan and thinking, you know, I wonder if they would have looked like you. I wonder if you knew them. I wonder if you met them, you know, you know, all these things. Are you one of them? Have you been brought back to me? You know, it was, it was really, really weird what, what I was going through at that point. Um, it was beautiful at the same time because I was so happy to have my baby, but those, those feelings don't go away. Yeah. And so you were able to enjoy it a bit though, at the same time as, as your. Yeah, of course. Like I, 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 you know, I, I really enjoyed it. And, you know, when people talk about the sleepless nights, I loved my sleepless nights with Milan. I still have them, by the way, Um, not as bad, but I loved them because those were mine and his moments, you know, just holding him at night and looking at him and staring at him and feeding him. And it was just, yeah, it was beautiful. It was, it was hard because when you've been married for so many years and it's just been you and your husband and suddenly there's a third person in the mix, all my attention's gone on Milan whereas all my tension was with Ranch before, he felt that, you know, he was like, oh my God, you've got no time for me anymore. And I was like, well, no, I haven't. You know, <laughs> I'm tired when you want to have time with me. I'm knackered. I've got no time for you. And there was a massive adjustment that needed to be made for both of us um, because we'd got so used to it. You know, we're used to just sitting at home and just saying, right, should we go out for dinner? Can't be bothered to cook. And we'd just go out. Whereas now we have to think twice about doing that. We have to grab his bottles, change his nappy, grab his spare clothes, everything else, like get the nappy bag ready, get the push chair, get, take the whole house with us when, before we go yeah. and everything has to be pre-planned. But, you know, again, that's beautiful as well. We love going out with him. He's part of, he's part of our um, spontaneous lifestyle now. So, he, you know, and he hates being inside the house. We've already got him into that mode. Okay. He'll, he'll be at the Royal Ascot with you soon, right? <laughs> Unfortunately, can't take kids there. Oh. We will be there. So he'll, he'll, be, he'll be with his grandma. Oh, well, I know that you guys already took him on holiday, which is nice. Yeah. And that was, oh my God, I was so nervous. So nervous. And even that, I've got so many messages from ladies on the group. How it was the experience of, you know, taking um, your baby on holiday. For yeah. the first time. But he was touched enough. Oh, sorry. Once just, he starts moving around there. more, it's going to yeah. get harder. Yeah. Um, so, Rina, I just want to say thank you so much just to come on here and you know you know coming on here and sharing your journey and I think it's a really it's a really brave thing to do actually just to that you're opening your heart to the world and especially like in our community the South Asian community you know a lot of people don't talk about this stuff or they think that oh you shouldn't talk about it you just got to pretend you've got this perfect life you know and that what it does is make other people feel bad and then everybody's feeling secret shame and sadness because they think everyone else has got it easy if we were to talk about that, I'd probably be here for another hour talking to you. So maybe we can do another part, another part to mm-hmm. that. But that's that's something to talk about as well, because that was not easy to cope with. 
um, you know, throughout the years for both of us as um, a man and a female, um, that wasn't easy to cope with. And then trying to explain to people what endometriosis was in our culture, that was just not easy either. And, you know, all those sort mm. of things. But yeah, it, it's not it's not been easy at all. And even now, like there might be people that look upon this and say, well, why is she talking about it so openly? But I, I want to help other women and I'm not ashamed or embarrassed of my journey. If anything, I'm very proud of it. I'm proud of us both yeah. of what we've gone through and we've come out the other side. And I think anyone that's going through pregnancy after loss or going through recurrent miscarriage or fertility they're the strongest people strongest with people like such warriors because it's it, it's it's soul destroying when you're going through it it is absolutely soul destroying and my re- I have the utmost respect for anyone who's on this journey well I've got a lot of respect for you for just you know sharing everything and for you know Thanks what so you've what you have been through um Serena can you just share your details if people want to follow your page I know you've got a couple of um different accounts and things that you do as well yeah so I've got um my Instagram page which is dedicated to pregnancy after loss infertility and endometriosis so that's Rena's underscore rainbow underscore journey so Rena's rainbow journey if you type that into Instagram search that will come up and yeah and you know if anyone is who's listening or watching this um wants someone to like just vent to or message or want some advice or you know the sort of things you want to ask consultants or anything like that please feel free to dm me my dms are always open on that page and um i do respond to everyone normally in the middle of the night when i'm doing a feed and i've had a moment to like reflect myself so you know it's always random times but yeah um i'm always here if anyone wants anything and there's lots of shared lots of advice tips and feelings on there as well Thank you. Um, and thank you for listening as well. And I, I hope that you found this, um, you know, I, I just, well, it's given you an insight really into Rena's journey and please do share it. Please like it. Um, please follow the podcast if you haven't already, because you never know when I'm going to drop an episode, you know, it could be Wednesday night, could be Thursday night, you never know. And also it'd be good if you wrote a nice review as well on Apple Podcasts, because it helps people to find this podcast organically. Um, so listen, please do check out Rena's Rainbow Journey page. Um, you can follow me on Instagram at Sisterhood of Mommy and Perfect or at Rena D. Annabelle. Until next time. Bye.